Well, hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, for those of you who don't know, and I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a great blessing to be able to reach out to my congregation on this Wednesday, as well as to our Saints Network family, that um, such a great blessing to, to me and to all of us in, uh, in this walk. Uh, we're going to look at a, a really unique study today, one that I enjoy doing. I do this. This is, we're going we're gonna to study the Word today, okay? And I know that in, um, in so many ways over the years, God has painstakingly led us into the understanding, the discovery, and, and initial understandings of so many principles in the scriptures that are not readily acknowledged by the mainstreamers. And um, it, it has been a, a doctrine-building process. You know you've been part of it with me. And I'm very grateful for that because it's helped us all to grow and it's given us the framework wherein we can teach the nations which is what Jesus said we should do. We should go into all the world and make disciples and that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached through all the world for witness and then will the end come. We're part of that as saints. And so I appreciate the way that the Father has led us, but in the past um, seasons, uh, no, that's not a good word, in the past number of months, God has really been emphasizing the need for our saints to actually dwell in the Word, not just look for the latest thing or look for scriptures that you can use here or use there, to gather up your pneumaticos understandings of what God has shown us in the Word and then be led by the Spirit to look at specific Bible passages, different scenarios that happened in, in the Word, and to apply the definitions of things that God has revealed to us to those passages, and, and allow the Spirit to, to teach us what, what hidden truths of function are found in these passages. And that's why we've made it such an important point to emphasize you need to be spending time in the Word. You need to have tools available to you that you use every day. You know, the Scripture says that God's Word will never pass away. And even some of the most... Um, passed over scriptures where we read them and we think, oh, that's a weird story. I, and you may not admit you say that, but anybody who's read the word, there are passages that you think, I have no idea why that happened. I have no idea what this meant. And I, I think I'll just move on to a stem winder, something that really lights me up. Even in the midst of those types of passages, the spirit of truth will guide you and so we're going to 
spend just a little bit of time studying together today. You need to be doing this. And um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what the Spirit is going to be sharing with us here. So as you know, many of you who've been walking together in this path with uh, the saints, you know that we have been emphasizing over the past couple of weeks the principle of the Sha'al, the ask of me, that is the privilege of kings and those in authority. But it, it speaks about an intimate relationship where where you are in the very inner hiddenmost place of your existence people know you there and you you can't don't hide you can't hide anything about yourself there it's just there and uh, that's really the base of what Sha'al is where God wants to meet with his people when you cut away all the trappings and all the nonsense and all the things we construct around ourselves and our points of ministry, God wants to look at us in the, inner, in the, in the most innermost place of who we are. And that's where God speaks to his friends. So we, he, he, we hear him and we gain his insight. And he imparts to us, if we let him, the mind of Christ there. And in the midst of that, then, at times, he will put forward, ask of me. And it's out of that atmosphere that Sha'al has its meaning. So I was advising our people to go through with the aid of their Bible programs and just look at all the passages where Sha'al is used by the Spirit. And, you know, I wrote a booklet about this in 2008, and we've talked about it since then. But I didn't go, in that booklet, I didn't go through every, every scripture. I didn't put every scripture in the booklet. Um... I've been accused of using too much scripture when I write, and it destroys the passion. In other words, well, I won't say what I think that means, but I want to clarify um, what God's Word is saying, and I utilize the passages that emphasize those points. And if you understand that principle, then you can process every other place where that word or that topic is evident in the word. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, you didn't write about this. No, I didn't. You know, some of these topics we've, we've discovered, I'd have to put half the Bible in a book. If you understand the principle and you founded it on what the scripture says, then let that definition guide you as you study those other passages. And there's a lot of powerful passages that we don't often, they're kind of off, the, as it were, off the beaten path in the Scripture. But God's Word is not going to contradict itself. And I have every confidence that um, if we truly glean 
the established principle in the world, then any type of anomaly usage of the scripture, of that verse, or, or of that word or that term, will easily be uh, deduced. Otherwise, you might form wrong conclusions. So, we're going to look at an Ask of Me passage. And from here, we're going to talk about a number of things. So, just let's just study the Word here, okay? Let's talk about the things the Word. In 1 Kings chapter 2, we find a very interesting scenario. Um, we find that Solomon has been made king and his mother Bathsheba is evidently involved not only in the king making but in um, giving him some rather some rather crafty advice when he first becomes king. The title of this message is Ask On, My Mother, which I think is a funny phrase. Ask On, My Mother, and that's in 1 Kings 2.20. And in order to really talk about this, we need the backstory here. When David was uh, in Hebron and he was fighting against Saul for his very life, and he gathered together that group of mighty men and lots of supporters to Hebron, he had a number of sons by different women, and not one of them amounted to anything. Uh, you, can, you can read about that yourself. He, you had Amnon, you had Absalom, you had some guy named Chiliad, which is only mentioned there, so I don't know what happened to him. And you had Ad, Adonijah. And every one of those guys that we know about were suspect individuals, to say the least. Uh, you can study about them for yourself, but David's sons were, in, at least in that instance, scalawags. And so, uh, you know that Amnon did an egregious thing, um, and Absalom killed him because of it, and then David kind of shunned Absalom, and then Absalom began to, I'm, I'm skipping over many years' time here, Absalom began to sit in the gate and say, the king doesn't have time for you, and he rose up and rebelled, and then Absalom was killed, and David grieved, and um, it, it just was a terrible thing. But somehow in the midst of that, Adonijah was still hanging around there. Uh, we know that when David became king, we know the story of Bathsheba, and we know the story of Solomon being born. But when David is about to die, Adonijah says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise up. I'm going to be the next king. So he gathers a, a feast of people, and there are notable people. Abiathar the high priest is there. Joab is there. And a bunch of people that are suspect in so many ways gather. Well, news gets to Nathan the prophet and to 
Bathsheba, and they they come, uh, gather Solomon, they go to um, uh, they go to David, and they say, "Hey, look, did you know that Adonijah is trying to take the king and did you kingdom? And did you not know that?" Um, did you not know that or remember that you had promised that God said that Solomon would take your place on the throne? And David said, yeah. So David brings Nathan and he brings Zadok, the, the other priest. You know, that was, uh, there was Abiathar and then there was Zadok and Zadok anoints Solomon king. Well, the next thing you know, Solomon is put on David's mule and he's riding through the town and they're proclaiming that Solomon has been anointed king. Now, Solomon is not alone. He's got our old friend Benaiah, whose name means, he's one of David's mighty men, whose name means uh, a son who builds on behalf of what Jehovah wants. And you had uh, two groups of people that were with Benaiah, and they're they're kind of not much is said about them, the the Cherethites and the Pelotites, and you read about them, and when when Adonijah heard that Benaiah and those two groups were there, suddenly everybody at this little feast skedaddles, and uh, Joab that. Joab was a questionable character. I don't care what anybody says. Read his history. He did some good things, but he just, he was malicious in trying to take over authority. You remember he killed, he killed Abner, murdered him. He killed Amasa, murdered him. Um, and he did other things that were really despicable. This one being with Adonijah, when he knew good and well that David was still alive and that um, Solomon was the one who was ordained to be king. But all these guys leave, and Solomon comes to the throne. Adonijah, it's reported to Solomon, this is what he did, and Adonijah said, uh, and, and Solomon said, let him live unless he does something that proves his disloyalty or is an unworthy type of character, but just let him live. Now, let's just stop here and look at this Cherethite and the Pelotite group. Uh, I think that in so many ways, Benaiah and these two groups in so many ways, represent what the Saints Network is. Um, we are devoted to be sons of God, to build up the things that Yahweh wants, God's plan to institute that. And we try our best to stay in alignment with the divine authority or the King of Kings. Benaiah was a dedicated person. He was one of David's mighty men, and, uh, you know, he, he must have been a Caleb-like individual because he was a mighty man during David's heyday, 
And now when David has gone the way of all flesh, Benaiah is still taking it, kicking it, taking names. Now, the Cherethites, the, the, word, the word means somebody that's been cut off or somebody that is kind of an outcast or somebody that has not really um, respected by society. Um, and these people, I, I believe, and I studied a lot about this, and it's really, there's really not been a lot written on it, even in the Jewish materials. These people were in some ways part of the, the Israelite kindred, but they're kind of outcasts. I find it interesting that, remember when Elijah faced off with um, the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and then he outran the chariot, and God commanded him to go to the brook Cherith, which that's the root of Cherethites, the one that is cut off. Um, and I, I think that perhaps that area where Cherith was and where... Um, uh, these outcasts seem to have as their main place. They weren't a tribe. I think that it, it speaks almost like the mighty man principle. And even God fed the prophet Elijah by the ravens there. It, it, it speaks so much to me about what God has done with our saints' network. Um, we were cut off. We were outcasts. Many of you were cut off from your denomination or you, you purposely cut yourself off and came out from among them and were separate. That's, that's really the base meaning of what Cherith is. And so one of the groups that Benaiah took responsibility for were the Cherethites. And one of the reasons that that's so important is that for those people to be committed to the king, they didn't have any other allegiances. They didn't have any allegiance to any particular tribe. They didn't have any, any motive to try to climb the ladder. They were just, they found their identity in God and his way. That describe you listen I believe as I was looking at this it describes me and it, it it really clarifies why God commanded Elijah to go to Cherith it wasn't just hey you know you, you better get away you better hide yourself now because Jezebel's really ticked off you think God thought that no he had just delivered a a blow to the spirit realm, the enemy influences, and to that whole regime. But there was a reason that Elijah went to Cherith by the directive of God. Now, what went on from there, <laughs> we regret. Um, but I think God was saying to him, you need to recognize that your strength is going to be from the ones from me, of course, but from the ones who've been cut off, like the thousands who've not bowed their knee to Baal that have been hidden 
Elijah said, I'm all alone. And God said, you don't know what you're talking about. And the whole conversation was about the, really the Cherith principle. And God told him, you go and anoint this guy, and you go and anoint this guy. People that weren't on Elijah's radar. And God has done that, thank, thanks be to his name, for us. Now, the other group, the Pelethites, some, some scholars think that this is a, a, a kind of, a, of an odd play on words that speaks about Philistines that were perhaps uh, part of that group that David influenced when, remember when David and his mighty men were hanging out with the Philistines and they were fighting against uh, the enemies of the Philistines and uh, when the Philistines were doing battle with Saul. You remember that story. I shouldn't have to tell you if you paid attention in Sunday school. Now, perhaps there were a number of these folks that said, you know what, I've been around David and I want to follow him. But they were not part of the children of Israel. In fact, they were historic enemies of Israel. But they nevertheless became kind of a dejected group. And it also represented people that were from other lands. I would think that Uriah the Hittite represented that kind of thing, where he was from another empire, and God led him in there to support David. So you had these two groups that became the major hit force of, um, of Benaiah. And they were not obliged to anybody other than God and the anointed king. And, of course, then to Benaiah, who personified that kind of thing. Uh, it's funny because when I looked at one um, Hebrew uh, source, it translated the, the, the Cherethites as being assassins, people that would go forth to do the dirty work, kind of like the, the hitmen kind of a thing. And um, I, I don't know about that, but I do know that these two groups were respected they were close to the king. They really did a lot of things that were quite similar to what uh, Zebulun was supposed to do, to be expert at war, know how to keep rank, not of double heart. And uh, they weren't trying to climb any ladders. They weren't trying to impress anybody. They weren't beholden to this group or that group. They were devoted to God and to the king. And, and so that's why I say this was really the personification of David's mighty men after he became king. And Benaiah rose into that role and subsequently then served it with Solomon. Don't you think that's interesting? So um, let's see. I think the next thing we'll do is read about, and this is in 1 Kings. It's a long story, 1 Kings chapter 2. So after Solomon is king and after he says, I'm not going to kill Adonijah, he's my older brother. Again, Adonijah was born in Hebron when David was still fighting against Saul. We know when Solomon was born. It was after David had been king and he was established. But 
David pronounced that Solomon would be the heir, and that was well known. But Solomon respected Adonijah, who's interesting, his name means it's a combination of Adonai and Yahweh. If anybody should have known how to keep rank and, and fulfill your role, it should have been Adonijah, whose name meant that. But he certainly wasn't doing that. So he comes, and there's a smattering of Sha'als here. I'll let you read it for yourself. But here's what happens. Adonijah comes to talk to Bathsheba. And he says, let me ask of you one thing. And basically, uh, Bathsheba said, okay, what, what do you want to ask me? And he says, I want you to go to your son and ask if he would approve me having taking to wife Agashab, Abishag, the Shunammite. Now, why is this significant? Well, I'll tell you what happens. So Bathsheba says, okay, I'll go and ask him. And so she goes to Solomon and she said, I want to ask you something using our word. And the, the, passage, the, the title of the message, Ask On, My Mother, he uses Shah. And he, he, she says, Adonijah wants to marry Abishag. Will you approve that? And as soon as that is said, Solomon, he goes ballistic. And he says, that's it. Adonijah's done. And he sends Benaiah. <laughs> and Adonijah is, is dead. Why? Okay. I think there's a message in, in all of this, too. Some people, they, they see all the bloodshed and and, and you know, one of the things the progressives say is, how could a God of love and mercy murder people and kill people? Well, he wasn't doing it in the New Testament, but the Old Testament was in a, it, it was a type for us. And it shows us in the, in the natural, in the, in the New Covenant, how we need to die to self and how we need to put things away and not tolerate this stuff that's of the demonic and, and, and to be really volatile, not killing people, but volatile in our own rejection of things that are not of God. And societies, civilizations, are, are uh, were back then, were ruthless. You know, I won't get too far with this, but I had a conversation several times with someone who lives in a, in a nation outside of the U.S., and this person almost idolizes the civilization that his family tree came out of, which was one of the most ruthless, bloodthirsty, maniacal, demonically-based groups the world has ever seen. And we're still learning how heinous 
this culture was as archaeological digs are unearthing cities and seeing different uh, depictions in the in their uh, in their artifacts but that this person says well how could God do this that th those years where the enemy was just so prominently directing cultures and nations how else was God, Jesus hadn't come yet how else was God going to redeem them in fact he said to uh, the people don't you intermarry with them don't you you know don't you allow them to live don't you drive them out I'm going to help you drive them out stay away from them because as soon as they merge with those people they go into a demonic swoon and uh, the nation of Israel is then judged it's horrible we're seeing that same battle today in our government in governments around the world the enemy is trying the same tricks and we have to be as um, as adamant to not become as the world and to die to self so um, Abishag represented something very special for us. How does she enter the picture? Well, when David was dying and he was, his temperature was going, I know this is an awful thing, but again, this was the ancient culture. It's good to be the king. David's counselor said, you know what will really get him going? If we get the most beautiful girl in the land and we bring her to him, that'll, we know David, and that'll get him, that'll, that'll put some nitro in his tank. And so they find this girl, Abishag, who is from Shunem. She's one of them, they're Shunemites. And they bring her to David and She's with David, but it doesn't do the trick. David doesn't have any physical relation with her. That's all I'm going to say because another kid's listening. But she stays there and she takes care of David. Now, why is Abishag so important for us? Did you realize that Shunem is in Issachar, which is the people that should know what Israel ought to do and who hear from God, who have wisdom. This woman, young, obviously beautiful. I didn't see her. hope this doesn't intimidate anybody, but this girl was a chosen girl. But beyond her physical beauty, she seemed to have a devotion. She came out of that lineage of Issachar, and... Um, she served David even when Bathsheba would come to talk to David about you better anoint Solomon king Abshag was there and didn't seem to trouble Bathsheba very much um, and that's saying something because Bathsheba was noted for her beauty and one thing you don't want to do is if there's a if there's a woman who's getting up in age and she's known for her beauty you better not you better not bring some young one around that's beautiful 
<laughs> you may have more trouble than you bargained for. But anyway, this girl represented Issachar. Now, why else was Shunammite? Where else was Shunammite? Well, those of you who study the word would remember that Elijah and Gehazi would um, go through Issachar and they would come past this house of a very wealthy couple and the, the Shunammite woman married to a Shunammite man uh, would give the prophet food and she respected him and then she went to her husband and said can we build a place for the, the prophet when he's traveling through to come and stay and we'll take care of him and the man said yeah and uh, Elijah recognized this this favor and said what would you like the Lord to do for you and this woman was childless her and her husband hadn't had a child and so Elijah prophesies okay you're gonna have a child and and she and her husband had a son and this little boy grew up and sadly though one day he was out in the fields with his father and he keeled over and the father being the gracious loving man that he was said take him to his mother <laughs> and he gets to his mom and he's dead and so the Shunammite woman runs to find Elijah, which is no easy thing to do. When she comes to him, Elijah says, is it well with you? And she breaks down and says, what, what's happened? And Elijah said, God's hid this from me. So he sends Gehazi with the staff, his staff, his rod, and he goes and lays it on the child and nothing happens. So comes back and then Elijah comes and you know the story the boys raised from the dead it's very interesting that several chapters later this Shunammite woman had been directed by Elijah hey you know what there's a famine that God's bringing here you better get down somewhere else so that you can live so for seven years they live in the lowlands with the Philistines and after seven years, she goes back to her house and some strangers there and won't relinquish her land to her. So she goes to the king. It was either Joram or Abiathar. No, either Jehoram or his son. Joram or his son. Um, and um, lo and behold, Gehazi's there. And this king is saying, hey, tell me some of the things that you've experienced with Elisha. And just at the time Gehazi's telling about the boy miraculously being born and then being raised from the dead, this woman and her son comes in to ask for their property. And Gehazi says, there's the woman and her son. And the king is so moved by that that he sends an emissary and drives out the squatter and the woman is given back her land. That's very interesting, isn't it? Now, you could also study that scripture. I told you we're going to study the word. I hope this isn't twisting any of your brains. But in the flow pattern of what goes on here, some scholars think that this, this story that I just told you about the squatter in the land, um, that this is out of chronological order. Because remember, Gehazi, in the deal with Naaman, uh, got leprosy put on him. And how could he be before the king if that was the case? Now, some other scholars say that 
the leprosy that was called leprosy in Naaman and then that came upon Gehazi wasn't the leprosy that we know of in the New Testament, which they say wasn't brought into Israel until after Alexander the Great and his troops came back from India. And then they brought that scourge. They're saying that perhaps the, 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 the leprosy that we know of in the New Testament was, um, uh, was a result of Alexander the Great and his troops, and that perhaps that type, that devastating type of leprosy came out of India. That makes a whole lot of sense. Now, why does it make sense? Because, you know, in the New Testament, lepers had to remove themselves. They had to crawl unclean, unclean before they went anywhere. And, um, but, you know, whatever Naaman had was uh, an awful thing. And it obviously was around. Um, the the Levites had to cleanse houses, and it it was an it was an awful skin disease. But it didn't keep Naaman from being around his king, and it didn't keep Naaman from moving with his troops, and it didn't keep Naaman from appearing before the prophet, and it didn't keep Naaman from appearing before the king of of the Lord's people. So obviously there wasn't that seclusion there. Now, maybe they're kind of like Joe Biden when he gets COVID. Suddenly, all the rules that we supposedly had to follow, he didn't have to follow. You ask about contact tracing, and you're told by the White House spokesman, oh, we're not worried about that. <sighs> do as I say, not as I do. So maybe that was the case with Naaman. I don't know. But the point is that Shunem was, was really a part of Issachar, and you had this great woman who respected the prophet and who listened to the word of the Lord and God worked miracles through for her. And then the other woman from Shunem is Abishag, who ministered to David during his last days. And you can you imagine, here's this I, I'm not going to say it because it, it troubles some of you if I say it, but this is attractive young girl. She she had her whole life ahead of her. She could, have, she could have had her pick of any guy, undoubtedly. But she submits herself to serve a dying old man who was God's anointed. And she really depicted something that was crucial during that time frame, especially when Solomon was going to be made king. So, I see the story of Issachar in, in this. And um, we also have been asking God to give us his wisdom to show us how to hear and follow and give counsel and just like the the, the warriors that went with Beniah who separated themselves from other things to devote themselves to God here was someone 
that had everything going for her in the natural and also was obviously out of that lineage of, of Issachar. You, you got a, a beauty and a smarty rolled into one, and believe you me, that's rare, isn't it? Um, I, uh, I, I see, though, that she devoted herself to serve. Now, I don't know what might have happened here. I'm assuming that um, Adonijah thought, you know, I didn't succeed before Solomon was anointed. I almost had it. But if I can get this beautiful girl who was part of David's harem, first of all, that'll be a bonus for me as a man. But secondly, in the way the ancient kingdoms were, if you inherit the harem of a king, you're the king. That was a that was a widely understood principle. And Adonijah had to know that. So Bathsheba was aware of the fact that Adonijah was trying, before her son was anointed as king, to take the kingdom. She knew that. And so when this guy comes to her and asks for this, she obviously had to be suspect of him. And instead of just telling him off, which wouldn't have really accomplished anything, she said, okay, I'll go and Sha'al, my son. And as soon as she comes to Solomon and says this, he erupts and suddenly Adonijah is no more. Bathsheba was pretty shrewd. She wasn't going to tell her son what to do. And she wasn't going to rebuff somebody who had political aspirations. She acted in, I said it was shrewd, but she made known what Adonijah was doing, and Solomon, who had been given wisdom by God, deduced it immediately and eliminated the guy. He warned him. You know, I've noticed that people who want power are, well, they, they're always looking for a way to get power. And they will try to get it through any means possible. And, um, you know, sometimes if you just watch a person and you're not, you're not in awe of who they are or what their, their royal line is or how many gifts they have. Adonijah obviously had gifts. But you see what they do. He was coming out of the line of authority on at least two occasions that we see. And that should be a red flag right there. But goodness gracious, um, it's, uh, 
I, I wonder about it. I've seen so many people over the years. I hated to see this in, in the district of the movement we were in. You'd see people lobbying for position and doing whatever they could to get it. And even when we were, as the Cherethites, we were cut off by the brook and God was providing for us. We had people that were threatening us. We had people that were maneuvering to try to come in and take our facility and to do away with me in, in really unpleasant ways. Um, and, and I'd watch them, even within, uh, sadly, um, within the, the maneuvers of my church when we were being refined and changed. I would watch people, and, and you could see what their strategies were. And being a, a kind-hearted pastor, which is why I've been able to stay here for four decades, I just let it play out, but I kept an eye on it. Some pastors would just rise up and smite them. You don't stay very long if you do that, and really you don't help your people very much. But the only thing I would ask of, of my congregation is smarten up. If, if this person is saying this, if they're doing this, there's nothing godly about either one of those things, no matter how sweet they are or how they know how to scratch your itches. And, but you know what? Uh, Adonijah just was so drunk on the idea of being in power, he crossed one too many lines. And, of course, when that happened, Solomon just said, okay, that's it. Adonijah's gone. I don't know who else is in this plot, but I do know that Joab was supporting him. Benaiah, my father told me to get rid of him anyway. This is the time. Go kill Joab. And that happens. He also goes to Abiathar, which was a priest who had been siding with Adonijah. He said, look, I'm not going to kill you because you helped my dad when in a number of ways with the ark and, and other ways, but I'm sending you to your home territory. You're not going to have any official duties here, and you better mind your P's and Q's. Those are my words. Don't look them up and say, Pastor, where's P's and Q's? You better mind your business. You see what's happened to Adonijah, and you see what's happened to Joab. And those two guys were had much more place than you do. And so... Solomon cleaned house, but it was all because of this Sha'al thing. And I think, I think that the, the hidden story here, besides all of these things, and I hope you've learned something today. This is just from applying mnemonicos principles and doing a little bit of study. And some of you say, well, I can't afford to buy these programs. Why don't you get off that horse and walk for a while? You know where I found out most of my stuff about the Cherethites and the Pelotites? Online. I just looked them up. And there was, there was a lot of info there. In fact, I, I um, looked up both of these terms in Abarim, A-B-A-R-I-M. You can look it up for yourself. Publications, you don't have to subscribe. And see what those guys said. And I put together a bunch of different ideas that were readily there that I'd never thought of, and I, I wasn't finding it in Easton's Bible Dictionary or Hastings or any of the others. So you can study 
but study. And, but, but as you study, know that there are a lot of miscreant doctrines out there. So eat the meat, leave the bones. If you know pneumatikos principles and you're studying, judge what you're studying and reject the things that you know openly come against what God has shown you in the word. It's not hard to do. Just because somebody has a big ministry or a fancy YouTube channel or some of the other things that are really Hollywood level productions doesn't make them an expert. Now they can bless you, but you've got to know the word so that you don't miss the mark of God. You've been given gifts of deep insights in the scripture. So what did we borrow from today? And we're ending. We borrowed from our understanding of who Benaiah was. We borrowed from our understanding of what Issachar was to understand what Shunem was, and to understand the significance of the Shunammite in Abishag. We understood what Cherith was in a new way with Elijah, which is to me worth its weight in gold. I'd never considered that before, but that makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? That was God's entry point. And the angel finally said, okay, it's time to get up. The brook dries up. It's time for you to go up. And then what did God talk to him about in the midst of Elijah's blathering. God said, hey, you know what? What are you doing here? I've got a job for you to do. I'm going to send you to the very people that the brook Cherith represented. We learned that, didn't we? We learned about Sha'al. How does that apply to ask of me? Well, it speaks about the wisdom that comes from being intimate with God ways that God will warn you if you're willing to be warned ways that God will um, will impart to you and that was all in the midst of all of these Sha'als so we're done I pray that God will bless you look at some more of these words study the scripture and um, may you be blessed till next time keep studying the word keep praying and uh, God bless you. Goodbye.